Welcome to the Leap Health in the Workplace podcast. Leap Health empowers individuals and organizations to improve both their physical and mental health. In this podcast, we explore innovative, bespoke, proven health solutions that will improve your personal and professional productivity and happiness. I'm Anna Rede. Let's get ready to make small steps to Leap Health. So welcome to the podcast today. I'm hugely excited for this episode because today with me, I've got Louise Hubbard, um, who is super intelligent and super knowledgeable about nutrition and all things around women's health. So as you know, I've got a particular interest in menopause and lots of workplace menopause workshops. Louise knows all sorts about this, but also knows all sorts about lots of different women's health issues that we're going to touch on today and um, so Louise has been fascinated with nutrition um, since 2016 and along the journey she's got so many different qualifications in nutrition and focused on women's health as well. She's now in the process of focusing on vaginal microbiome which is fascinating because you know, there's tests coming out around the vagina microbiome that can understand a little bit more if women are in perimenopause because as we know right now it's very di- difficult and um, from just a standard blood test to be able to test if women are actually perimenopausal and we have to really watch symptoms but there's lots and lots more um, research and evidence coming out around this and she also explores other areas such as like PCOS, fertility, PMS, PMDD um, so she's knowledgeable in lots of different areas. So welcome to the podcast today Louise. Have I left anything out there when I've introduced you? No, I think I think you sold me pretty well. Like I feel like I want to buy myself now. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm very knowledgeable. Where in fact I'm 25 and I'm still learning because it's still a learn. It's always a learning curve. So, so thank you so much for the introduction. Like, I've, like it's great to be introduced like that. So thank you. <laughs> so we're really excited to have you today, and really excited to get on with the questions that we've got for today. And I'm sure everyone listening will find it fascinating. And um, as you will have picked up as well, and um, Louise has got a beautiful French accent, which is a really lovely contrast with my broad Lancashire accent. <laughs> um, you've got both ends of the spectrum today. Um, so uh, Louise is from the Healthy Hatching Corps, and she will be launching a brand new website at the beginning of next year. And you can find her being very active on TikTok and Instagram as well. So let's get into uh, today's podcast, Louise. First one is, you know, when often think about menopause, people just think of hot flushes straight away. Is there any other alternative to sage and what would you recommend in terms of preventing hot flushes? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, to be sweet and simple, the one I've heard and the one I've been using is Sage. However, there is two different schools. You have the nutrition that will recommend to have supplementation of Sage and other that will recommend to have it as drinks, hot drinks or cold drinks. You can have a cold brew if you want to with Sage. However, it's better hot right now. Um, the reason why I'm saying this, it's because Myself, personally, I prefer recommending sage as a hot drink. Two things for that. The first one is because nowadays, especially after COVID-19, like most of us are working from home and it's really, really easy to sip a drink, a hot drink in front of your computer, in front of your Google Meets um, meeting or in front of your Teams meeting. You can drink one, two, three, four, five, and then you don't even see the hot flushes going through the day. So that would be 
my first reason. Now, the second reason, it's, yeah, it's, it's one, cheaper than the, the pills. And you have, I, when I started to work, I had to understand that not everyone has a very extensive budget when it comes to supplements. So you have to be, um, you you have to be how do I say that <laughs> sorry like as I mentioned earlier I live in Spain I'm French and I speak English right now so all the language are mixing at the same moment so apologize if I'm looking for my words I think you mean in and I'll put it in a Lancashire broad broad way <laughs> so you have to be savvy with the marketing and be wise to people trying to you know manipulate you because you want to quick fix with nutrition there's lots of cheaper options out there and it's just been a little bit wise to marketing, isn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. So yeah, the, the second point was basically sage infusion. It's very cheap. So when I used to live in the UK, I know Hollenberg is not the it's a very basic to find your supplement. However, there is much better. And the, yes, there is much better. But if you don't have the budget, you can find some sage tea or sage infusion there for less than three pounds. So when you don't have the money, but you want to make it quick and easy to remove your hot flushes, this is basically where I would go. Now, in terms of other solution, um, there is black cohosh. However, I heard, but I don't tend to recommend it because I I haven't really made loads of research about it as of yet. So, yeah, my go-to for heart flushes would be definitely um, sage infusion. Warm, it's possible. <laughs> Love that. Thank you. Yeah, and I think the data is limited, isn't it, with black cohosh? I don't think, you know, it does you any harm by having, you know, trying it. Um, but I don't think the data is conclusive there. But I did hear, I don't know if you can shed light on this, but it can potentially for liver toxicity with too much black cohosh. Is that correct? I'm sorry. Did you, can you repeat the last? Um, I had heard that with black cohosh, too much can cause liver toxicity. Have you heard that? Or I haven't heard. However, I trust you because you it's menopause is your specialty. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, like black cohosh, I heard. I know it exists. However, I haven't done enough research about it. So, so we will I, find I, the facts and we will put it in the show notes. <laughs> like, okay perfect like um, let's put it, let's do research and put it in the short notes let's, let's do it let's do it let's not pretend we know the conclusive answer and let's put it in the show notes and um, but what I love what you said then about just having your know, warm sage and particularly when you're working from home whatever is on your desk or whether you're in the office as well whatever's on your desk and whatever's nearest you're likely to have so you know it's a prompt all the time isn't it to, to have that sage but also as well you know it can replace your normal caffeinated drink maybe a tea or coffee if you're having that in the afternoon or having a lot then you know caffeine can increase the risk of hot flushes but as I said if you're having it later on it can also impact on your sleep as well we know when you're menopausal it's a lot harder to sleep also so you're trying to replace some of those caffeinated drinks with something that's a bit more hydrated and actually going to support your hot flushes and it's got to be a win-win really when you're going through those perimenopausal symptoms so yeah love that tip thank you Pardon. I say I completely agree. Yeah, thank you. So the next one we're just going to move on to, and this is something that comes up in a lot of the workshops that I run. I said I run menopause workshops in the workplace, and you know we talk a lot about you know raising awareness around all the symptoms, but also the long term complications as well of menopause. And for women who um, have the breast cancer hormonal dominant gene, then it's 
quite frightening for them to really hear about all the long-term complications but feel like they can't all actually take HRT um, and you can feel a little bit helpless and a bit worried about things but there's lots and lots of different lifestyle interventions that you can do um, and particularly around your nutrition as well so what are your top tips around that and what do you recommend? All right uh, that's, that's a very good question actually. <laughs> um, so a little bit about um, I'd say it's great if I give you some um, information regarding that question. So um, I have someone in my family that had a breast cancer and that had the gene. And I guess it was really hard for me to see her going through menopause without having any access to, you know, HRT or any like hormone replacement because she wasn't able to and she wasn't allowed to because for obvious reason that it can like trigger the gene again and again and then potentially cause another breast cancer so in terms of what would be my tips and tricks oh I love that sentence that sounds very Halloween but I love that (laughs) sentence Um, to get to get over breast cancer hormonal dominance again I'm very general but food food would be the best and even though you can't have a charity hormonal replacement uh, treatment you can still eat oestrogen and when I say you can eat oestrogen less amount obviously that what you would found in like peels and tabs but in terms of food that you can easily add to your diet you have obviously soy um two school two stories here there is people that say soy is very bad and soy is very very good for you i tend to jump in the team that soy is very good for you if you can't have oestrogen as a supplementation then if you can't obviously have soy and if you're not in team soy <laughs> that sounds like a you know like a school I'm in team soy today um but you I can still have like you know you can have like vitamin d that would also help you can have flaxseed you can have dark chocolate and trust me working from home dark chocolate is my best friend like I can like munch on dark chocolate all day like it's not very good but is it also have a good level of estrogen so so yeah it's it's pretty good to have some sorts of food to boost your estrogen like that's the few foods I, I mentioned earlier and that's the one I would recommend but feel free to to check or or to you know to check by yourself if you find any good food source that have estrogen in it then I would literally recommend you to have them as much as possible definitely thank you that's that's a great one and you're you know there's lots of different soy products out there isn't there lots of battery children foods as well um so it's not you know you don't have to worry too much if, if you can't get the hrt and be panicking about that because there's lots of other things you can do and besides your nutrition as well you know making your protecting like your bones and things by getting lots of movement or taking time for relaxation um, and just doing all these small little lifestyle interventions have a cumulative effect and, you know, can have a big impact on the on your menopausal symptoms. So there's lots of other things you can do uh, besides HRT. But I would really, really recommend you know, make sure that you're really seeing a specialist who knows this stuff about this, because you know, in certain situations, it might be that you can have certain types of hormonal therapy. Um, so thank you very much for that. The next question we're going to ask um, is digging a little bit deeper around this in terms of how would you prevent osteoporosis after menopause? 
Okay, so as you probably know, because menopause is your focus and honestly, like you must be very, very, so much more knowledgeable than I am. But as you probably know, when you when you got to the stage of menopause, you lost about 10% of your bone mass. So how to prevent that? You need to supplement yourself in calcium and vitamin D. Again, very general, but again, food. I know it's it's very repetitive, but food is your best friend and it should be used as a supplementation. So I, I don't remember the sentence by heart because I've been to school a long time ago, but was it Hippocrates that says like be time medicine, food be time medicine, then like basically use your food as your medicine. And then if that doesn't work, use supplementation. Yes. Oh, is that so cute? I totally agree with you as well around that food is the medicine. And if you look at the NARS guidelines, you know, for all different disease and therapeutic areas, it's always lifestyle interventions that are first, isn't it? And often, you know, clinicians don't have the time to exploit those lifestyle interventions. So there's so much that they can do at that first step of the NARS guidance where nutrition plays a critical part. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. I I completely sorry. Like, I completely agree with with yeah with that statement. I think it's like there's nothing else to add. Just like food is and should be your medicine, your prime medicine. Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, you know, for the calcium, often we just think of dairy products, don't we? But you can get lots of leafy leafy greens as well, which are high in calcium. Yes. So usually uh, if the client or if the person going through menopause is not vegan, I would highly recommend dairy product like cheese and and yogurt and also yogurt because of live bacteria. But that's not the subject, like any type of dairy product because they have calcium. If the person I'm having a consultation with is vegan, then I will, like you said, mention and highly recommend green leafy veg. So in terms of proportion and how much you should get it into your diet, I would go for one to two portion fits fist size. Sorry, this one is really hard to pronounce, but fist size um, a day. That would be very, very great and optimal. However, I'm conscious that people don't like either don't like veggies or or feel that they want to eat something else at veggies. So one portion a day would be more than enough. Two would be optimal, but one is is already very very good yeah and like uh, for your vitamin d as well um, oh yes <laughs> like i completely forgot <laughs> about that so um so yeah like i said calcium and then the second part to tackle let's say uh, osteoporosis during after and a little bit before menopause would be also vitamin d so i know that currently in the uk it's quite dark and plus there is a government Go, go, governmental like, like um an official recommendation that mentioned that UK citizens should take on vitamin D supplement from October to March. I believe it's October to March, but this is the reason because it's it's very dark. So, if you lucky like me, and if you live in a sunny country, or if you could get some fresh air in the morning, I would highly recommend to get your level of vitamin D fully boosted I would go walking 10 minutes 20 minutes would be more than enough on top of that I would actually eat rich food 
vitamin D. So that would be, you know, um, like the smash fish. So by smash, so by smash fish, sorry, it's very, very hard to pronounce. I would go for um, salmon. I would go to herring. I would go to sardine. Um, so smash. And then basically you could also have cod liver oil, very easy to find on the market. Um, but yeah, and then if you can't do that, of course, you also have the possibility to get a supplementation. So my top recommendation in terms of supplementation would be liquid um, to drop it under your tongue because that would be much um, better absorbed by your body than if you were eating it, basically. Great, thank you. Yes, and I think that's important to understand, isn't it? Different absorption levels as well um, with different supplements. But like you said, the best source is just getting out in the sunlight. But I feel we are very jealous of you now, Louise. You're sat there in Spain and uh, we're in cold UK. Um, <laughs> however, it's still six degree, but it's like sunny, at least sunny but cold. Yeah, it's getting rather colder, yeah. Um, and, and also as well, you know, I'm just like, you would probably need a little bit more sunlight than I may need as well, because I'm a bit fairer than than you are. Um, so your skin tone can affect, can't it, as well, the amount that your body needs. Um, because, yeah, the darker your skin, the more um, sunlight you need for your body to get an adequate amount of, uh, of vitamin D. So, yeah, the best source, as you said, is the sunlight. But, yeah, that's great that um, you've given us some options around diet as well. And those kinds of things don't have to be expensive either, do you think? get quite cheap like tins of oily fish it doesn't have to be expensive yeah it's like yeah when I used to live in the UK I remember I used to go to Sainsbury and get the sardine in like a can with tomato sauce and it was back at uni and I remember I was eating three of those can a week and all of my flatmates were like why are you eating crude fish that's like disgusting and I was like yeah but you know on toast the bread with a little butter that sounds like perfect and I oh. get my levels up to date <laughs> so, so yeah basically Party, sardines on toast that's a traditional British thing definitely <laughs> it's also very French like I've seen growing up my grandparents having to dine on a toast of bread with butter as an entry before going to dinner or something so yeah way forward the way forward so now just moving on around other areas of menopause as well um, and I think you probably, you probably know a lot more around this than I do but is there a correlation between menopause and thyroid issues? Um, and especially if the symptoms have started just after menopause. Okay, so no, there is no correlation at all. It's just that hypothyroid, which is basically known to be like a low active thyroid, so underactive thyroid, and menopause have the same sort of symptoms. So you will have with menopause, obviously, hot flashes and night sweats, and you will be tired, lack of energy. That's very menopausal symptoms. And hypothyroidism, you will have an increased sensibility of cold, but you will also get very tired and low energy. And waking up in the morning is like, I just want to stay in bed and do nothing, which is very, very similar to menopause. So in terms of does the symptoms look the same? Yes, it does, unfortunately. So this is why it's very hard 
to 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 check if it's either menopause or perimenopause that you go through or premenopause or hypothyroidism but a, a quick blood test will be able to tell you uh the answer to that once you mention when was you once sorry you found that if it was menopause or hypothyroidism then there is two different ways to treat it and to go over it so the question the answer sorry is no there's no really like big correlation just people think it's the same because we they have the same sorts of symptoms um yeah the same sort of symptoms <laughs> thank you thank you for confirming that and myth busting that um, and I think again with lots of the symptoms of perimenopause we can link them to other things and think it's other things as well so um, that's why it's key that when we're going to get a diagnosis for anything um that we've got a good history and we've, we've documented all our menopause symptoms um so that we're getting the right diagnosis and we're seeing somebody that knows their stuff and knows whether it is perimenopause symptoms or it is something else as well. Um, so the next question I'm going to ask you is, and I think a lot of people will want to know the answer to this as well, yeah. is what would be the best way to anticipate weight gain, loss, before, during, or straight after menopause? So I think that's something that always comes to mind, isn't it, with women around menopause age, is that is, you know, I'm definitely going to put weight on and that's that's one of the fears maybe um but yeah can you just shed a little bit of light on that please yes I mean actually I'm happy that you asked this question just after the one we we talked a little bit earlier because as I mentioned some of symptoms of menopause would be lack of energy not wanting to go to work and want to stay in bed all day and I know this from experience because I've seen um, client with this but I also know this in my personal life because my mom went to a very very hard menopause and still today in perimenopause because she's around what's the age of my mom <laughs> I think she's like 55 or 56 she still have this lack of energy two reasons for that so you going to get weight and how to anticipate weight gain or weight loss during menopause it's basically you don't have energy and you don't want to do anything. So I would focus on doing just a little every single day. So it could be just walking in the park, 10 minutes walking or making sure you get a coffee. So see, one of my top advice that I give to my mom every single day, because she also worked from home, is like to get a coffee takeaway every single day or every two days or whatever your budget allows you to, but just to get some fresh air and then to do some walking. That would really, really help you to one, keep the motivation and to like, you know, make sure you're not getting the weight. You need to move your body. I know it sounds like a very general advice, but you do really need to move your body. So um, something I also give as a, um, as, a, as an advice is since COVID, like most people work from home. And I don't know if it's your case, uh, but since since this happened, I became a very plant lover. And I know in London or in the UK, not everyone has the possibility to have a garden, but even be outside in a garden, move it a little bit, you know, take your pot to a place A to a place B, that will make the move. And that will actually increase your not your motivation, but your will of doing something today. I found out that doing gardening, it's actually a really, really good way to one, prevent when gay and to two, like make sure you still, you know, do some activity as I'm not saying talking to your plants, even though like I'm a, I'm a very good believer that talking to your plant will be a great thing to you. Um, 
but yeah, just make sure you get some exercise and then make sure you treat your body well. So it could be, it could be via food. Obviously, like we all know that in the UK, we have a lot of access to fast food. You can, I'm not saying completely stops, but at least remove or make it very, very rare. Like once every three months, maybe you can have a fast food because at the end of the day, treating yourself with a fast food might be for some people a very, very good motivation. It is not for me, but I completely understand why you would like to have nuggets and fries once every three months or once every quarter. So you could also treat your body by, yeah, so walking, food, making sure you have your green leafy juice, um, have the right type of food. So how do I say that? Like veggies, proteins, you know, have a normal plate and but when I say plate, I mean, you see, you need to have a little bit of carbohydrate, a little bit of protein, a little bit of leafy green or veggies. Like you need to have, your plates needs to be complete. It can't be only carbs and it can't be only protein. It has to be some sort of like mix and balance because at the end of the day, your body is balanced, is basically like equilibrium. It's, it's homeostasis. So it has to be, in balance and for me that would be the best way to prevent anticipate when gain or loss gain during after straight after menopause brilliant thank you and those were really really realistic things that we can implement so yeah that was that's great to touch on all those areas and I totally echo what you say around about you know that getting a balance so there's so many diets out there that are promising you know this and that but you're often really, really restrictive and you run the risk of missing key nutrients. And, you know, well, it, we should be adopting a healthy diet all through our lives, but particularly, you know, perimenopause and menopause can last a long time. So we don't want to go on something that's too tricky to stick to because it's got to be sustainable. So I think, you know, that message around getting a real balanced diet and just prioritising the nutrients that you need um, is, is a good take-home message and I liked how you said you just go out for walks and um, you know when you're feeling a little bit lethargic you don't have to set yourself massive massive you know exercise goals just get out there and you know once you've got out you're more likely to do more but if you make it overwhelming your fitness goals then you yeah. probably like to think there's no way I can do this so <laughs> I'm sorry. Down and I think, yeah definitely I think we're singing from the same hymn sheet there aren't we yeah just make it small and make it um so yeah um, and then also and other thing that I'd, you there's also some, yeah there's also something I would love to add in terms of what you can do like a daily small thing is here in Spain we have we have an app that is called Rover it's basically allow you to borrow the dog of someone to go for a walk and then you get paid for it so I know that I personally do this a lot I get like I get paid to to borrow the dog of others and then during my lunch break I walk a dog for 15 minutes and I get 15 euros which is about 10 pounds so if you like animals you could go on an app called either borrow my doggy or borrow my dog I think that's the version in the UK or either rover maybe it's it exists in the UK and then you can be with a furry pet which give which will give you like some sort of love comfort cuddly feeling but also makes you move so that's also something that I would consider 
I absolutely love that. Love that. And not only are you getting paid, you're getting movement, but you're also going to be more productive when you go back to do your work after getting a bit of fresh air as well. Yeah. So you have better work, better work-life balance. So there's there's multiple yeah. benefits from that. Yeah. So absolutely love that. Yeah. And again, we can put that in the show notes, link to those apps as well. So moving on to the area that I said you're particularly interested in focusing on at the moment is the vaginal microbiome. Um, is there a change between the after-menopause vaginal microbiome and the one just before? Um, so tell us a little bit more about that, Louise, please. That is my favorite question. <laughs> so the, the answer is yes, there is a huge change. Because as you probably remember, and as you probably know, when we go through menopause, obviously we're going to get very, very low estrogen. And within the vaginal microbiome, oestrogen and progesterone plays a very, very important role. So in terms of does the microbiome will change? Yes, it will. Because because of lack of oestrogen and lack of progesterone, then you will have some sorts of bacteria, like obviously still from the family of the lactobacilli. And that would be like, I'm staying general because once you open the door of like vaginal microbiome or microbiome in general, you can go for hours. So those lactobacilli, whatever family is there we're talking about, because there is five different families of lactobacilli. Basically, when you check um, a result, let's say you do, you know, a bacterial testing, you'll see that oestrogen and progesterone plays a very important role to get the balance of lactobacilli. The thing is, because during menopause, we're going to miss those oestrogen and progesterone, then we're going to have low lactobacilli. And what that would cause is potentially a bigger risk to women after menopause to get bacterial vaginosis. So that will basically go from sorts of symptoms, um, and not very pleasant symptoms, like from pain to rashes or, you know, smell, just as easy as that. But women after menopause would be more prone to get bacterial vaginosis. So if you have some sorts of symptoms like that after your menopause, instead of starting like to stress out and get, oh my God, I'm dying, like, <laughs> like please get me on like in the emergency, I would just do a basic, a basic um, bacterial test um, and then check if it's bacterial vaginosis. Because in that case, what you just need to do is rebalance the lactobacilli. And to rebalance the lactobacilli, you need to have a good amount of progesterone Theron and oestrogen. And then to do that, again, comes back to the first question or the, no, the third question you asked me about how to get oestrogen during your diet. Again, that's soy, um, isaflovones, and then any type of food that high, high oestrogen and any types of food that have high progesterone to balance your microbiome, basically. Thank you, Louise. And that is fascinating because there's just so much more you know, new evidence coming out around that. It is a fascinating topic. And um, I'm going to ask you one more question around this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very near the cause as well, just because I'm particularly interested in it. I'm sure lots of other people are as well. So um, having like a long fertility journey myself, uh, suffering with amenorrhea for years and years, having clomid and having to have 
IVF and then you're getting caught naturally 16 years later um, but it never happened naturally in 16 years so making lifestyle interventions um, I'm interested in fertility definitely not wanting any more right now I'm done but just interested in the topic so um, you've, you know, I think you said before that bacterial vaginosis can actually cause issues when you're trying to conceive so for anyone yes. who's listening now we're interested in this can you shed a little bit of light on that please yes with pleasure <laughs> so basically when you're trying to conceive so let me start us there, I think. I'm going to do like a basic introduction about um, bacterial uh, microbiome and especially the vaginal microbiome. When you do a test, let's say you're getting, you want to conceive and it doesn't work. Let's start here. You can, you can do um, a microbiome test. If you have the, the goal here is to have a proper balanced microbiome. And in order to do that, you need to have the five different families. I mean, the five known different families um, of lactobacity. There is five different and you need to have a proper balance. If you have, if you have too much, then it could be correlated with some obesity and then um, like excess um, how do you say that excess fat in the abdominal section if you have too low bacteria that can cause bacterial vaginosis now in terms of your pregnancy let's say you're trying it can it can cause some difficulty to get pregnant because it can be very toxic let's say for the partners um and I lost the word. <laughs> it can be very toxic for your partner's, um, let's say, pool of bacteria. Because if it's if your if your bacteria within your body, within your microbiome, gets too low or too high, then that creates not a proper environment for your partners. So then that would be basically like stop, basically like the way of getting pregnant. Because if you don't get the second part of getting pregnant, aka the, um, the man's version, the man's part, then it won't happen. Now, let's say you're pregnant already and you have some imbalance again within your microbiome, your vaginal microbiome. This can cause to discomfort, like it can cause pain, it can cause scratch, and it can even to some extent lead to miscarriage. So that's definitely having the right vaginal microbiome is definitely something that I would not focus because obviously the most you're trying to get pregnant most of the time you don't like it has to be something very natural and something that you haven't thought of it for like you know like every single day like oh I want to get pregnant I want to get pregnant I want to get pregnant your body is a great machine um is a great tool if you say every single day I want to get pregnant you probably won't <laughs> like let's it has to be yeah it has to be natural in some way however if you experience some set of specific symptoms like either like some scratch pain discomfort during your pregnancy I would do a microbiome test to see if it's this if it's um if this test come back positive with bacterial vaginosis then I would just do a treatment for bacterial vaginosis which is basically rebalance the lactobacity 
and again, how to, re to rebalance the lactobacy, having the right sorts of estrogen and progesterone, and then comes back to food, have the right food that contains the right amount of estrogen and the right amount of progesterone. Did I answer your question? Though? That <laughs> or, is wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. I think, yeah, we've learned a lot from that. I, I certainly have. Um, and I think one of the things that really hit home as well is when you're not thinking about it, a lot yeah. is said for your mind as well, isn't it? You know, um, you've got to be wise as to what lifestyle interventions you can put in place, but also manage the way that you're thinking as well and try not to be just fixated on that as well. Um, so, yeah, that that's super interesting. But I think you've also, you know, raised awareness about the complexity of it as well. Um, and if people are wanting to look into this a little bit more, we do need specialists like yourself that really understand it. And there's lots of people out there that come for your gut microbiome are trying to prescribe different certain ways of eating aren't they but it's very very difficult isn't it to actually pinpoint exactly what you need to have so I think this is where you need your kind of depth of knowledge to be able to give an accurate accurate recommendation really so that's we mentioned earlier on you've been conned into marketing and um, you've been a bit savvy about what people are telling you but this is an area where you do really need a specific expert like yourself so mm -hmm. Um, yeah thank you so that's kind of concluded our questions for today but um, it's been fascinating I think we've covered lots and lots of different areas um, but if people would like to know more about your work and what you're doing where is the best place to find you and I said you hung out on Instagram and TikTok a lot you made me feel very old by saying <laughs> on TikTok and I need to get I need to get with the times a little bit more um, but yeah can you let us know where people can find you please yes so I tend to, since I'm only 25 and I'm currently still learning and then creating my, my, my practice, some sort of like on the go, um, I answer pretty easy on Instagram. So if you go on under one of my posts and you ask a question, if you send me a private DM, apparently this is how you call it now, <laughs> like I always, like I always take time to answer because like I mentioned to you earlier in our private conversation, I became a woman in a very, very early age. And when you get that problem, that sort of menstrual issues problem at a very young age, usually it's mom and dad that pay for your treatment or advice. So you either have very low funds, uh, no money, or you just don't know where to go because there's so many options. So yeah, those kind of person, those kind of, yeah, I would say women, they can definitely ask me for Instagram or for TikTok. And usually I either answer to them via private chat or I do a whole on video about what they ask. Because usually when one person is asking about something, you can make sure that probably 10 others will have the same urgent question. They just too shy to ask. So definitely leave me a DM or um, comment or yeah on my socials I think it's the best way to contact me thank you and what an opportunity there just to be able to ask any of the questions that you want and even possibly get a video made in response to that that's wonderful thank you so what exactly is your Instagram address okay so so bear in mind I created the name back in time when I was in university so it's healthy.hatch.womenshealth uh, it's very pink. So whatever Instagram or TikTok page you found with loads of pink, um, well, you can make sure that's me. 
super so we're looking for something super super pink on instagram and get asking your questions and um, i will also put the details as well in the show notes so thank you so much Lee. it's been great to chat with you um, and hopefully we can catch up again in another episode in the future and dig a bit deeper into some Definitely. questions that the listeners have got so thank you very much well thank you so much for getting me into here like it's it's a great it was a great conversation i really appreciate it so thank you so much thank you so before you start listening i want you to think about how you can make health contagious did anything resonate in the podcast what did you learn that was new did you hear something that you thought someone else would love to hear if so please share this podcast please leave me a review or please get in touch at anna at leaphealth.co.uk to learn more about how you can improve physical and mental health of individuals and those in the workplace so that everybody can feel happier and healthier and more productive. Thank you.